This is Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff, the podcast where spiritual directors talk about stuff. How do we experience God? How do we evolve in our understanding of faith? How do we expand our picture of God's love? These questions and more will guide our talks. Here are your hosts, Chris Aker and Maggie Schlosser. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff, Episode 3. As you remember, last time we um, learned a little bit more about me. Maggie interviewed me, and I talked about my spiritual journey, and that is going to be what we do today, but in reverse. I will interview Maggie, and we get to hear about her spiritual journey. So without further ado, Maggie, tell me a little bit about your spiritual journey. Well, before I start talking about myself, I want to give just a little bit of history on my parents' spiritual um, upbringing. So my dad is what I would call culturally Catholic. He grew up in a super Catholic household. They went to mass every Sunday. They, uh, he went to K through 12, all through Catholic school and college as well. Um, they had like fish for dinner every Friday night. Like they were just super Catholic. And, um, but as an adult, he only went to mass so that he didn't have to lie to his mom about going. And that is not a joke. She would literally call every Sunday night and to confirm that he went to church, even as an adult. Um, my mom is atheist and uh, when they got married and uh, started talking about having a family, um, she told him, if you want our kid to be Catholic, you have to do the church thing yourself. And my dad was totally fine with that. So growing up, um, the way that I would look at church was really like a weekly daddy daughter date for my dad and I, we would go to mass. We'd leave after communion. Like we wouldn't even stay till the end of it. We would just leave. Um, and then we would go to dinner or go get ice cream. And it was just the time of the week for me to really connect with my dad. And I was raised in San Francisco and, and that really was kind of the norm around there when it comes to church, it was more of a one hour a week check, you know, check the box kind of a thing than, than anything else. Um, in the fourth grade, uh, we were still living in San Francisco and my dad's aunt died of cancer. Um, and as a fourth grader, this was especially confusing to me because she was a nun and, uh, in my wonderful fourth grader logic, I just couldn't understand why God would let a woman who devoted her whole life in service to God get cancer. And so again, in my wonderful fourth grader logic, I just said, God doesn't exist. So I told my dad a year or two later that I didn't believe in God and I didn't want to go to church anymore. And he just said, that's fine with me. Just don't tell your grandmother. <laughs> Cause again, she would call every Sunday to make sure that we went to church. So after that, I took on my mother's atheism and like all the way through middle school, high school and college. And honestly, I think she was secretly ecstatic, um, I think that she maybe had some church hurt from her childhood, um, and she's never said that, but that's just my suspicion, because uh, she really especially like seemed to hate Christians and kind of taught me the same thing. Um, I also didn't like Christians, because anytime I tried to have a conversation with one, they would always try to convert me and ask me if I wanted to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And in college, I just wanted to party and go to basketball games and just go to class. And it was just kind of like, why you got to make everything about Jesus? I just thought that they were just really obnoxious people. Um, 
So after college, um, I went to college in Illinois, and then I moved to Atlanta to teach high school math. And yes, just to uh, state the obvious, yes, I was an atheist living in the Bible Belt, which was a very interesting, uh, um, <laughs> very interesting for me. <laughs> um, and in my first year of teaching, my boss took me under her wing and kind of mentored me professionally. And um, she never like outright told me that she was a Christian, but I could tell that she was a Christian because I'd walk by her office in the morning and she would be reading the Bible. And when I would go in for a meeting with her, there were Bible quotes on post-its all over her desk. Um, but she was really the first Christian that I met that didn't need to talk about it or stuff it down my throat or immediately ask me if I wanted to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And she really was a breath of fresh air for me. And I wouldn't describe it this way at the time, but looking back, I know now that I was drawn to Jesus in her. And that is why I became curious about her faith, because she just was so different from all the Christians that I had met before. Um, so she and I became friends and um, a, she would ask me every now and again if I wanted to go to church and I would always decline. Um, but a year and a half probably in probably a year and a half into our friendship, I decided to accept an invitation to go to church with her. A few months after going to this church, I decided that I wanted to become a Christian and she was so ecstatic. And she actually had texted me and asked me if I wanted to accept Jesus. Um, and I think, and I remember texting back, I think so. And she called me immediately and she was like, get on your knees. We're going to pray. And, um, so I prayed the prayer. Um, that every good little Baptist does when they want to become a Christian. And um, while I was repeating after her, I remember thinking, oh, gosh, I didn't know that this was part of it. Oh, is this what I'm supposed to believe now? Oh, I didn't know that. And uh, just the list of things that I was supposed to believe now just was a little bit longer than I had known. Um, I think I actually thought that the only thing about accepting Jesus was just accepting the fact that Jesus was Savior. And even then, I didn't really know what that meant. So after that, I wrestled for months about what all of those things meant. And I really questioned about whether or not I could be on board with all of these things that Christians believe. Um, so it took a while and I decided just to kind of get on board with most of it, not all of it, but most of it. Um, and then I became like all of those Christians that bugged me in college and I made every single conversation I had about Jesus. If you knew me back then when I was a new Christian, I am so sorry that I was so obnoxious. <laughs> I became involved at a church in Atlanta. I got into a small group. I volunteered with a college ministry and I also volunteered with production, which is kind of the thing that makes um, Sunday services happen. And uh, I had no idea that I was a production nerd until I started running camera and I realized I was good at it. And I just really uh, found my family with all the staff people. So there was one Sunday, this was, um, I guess I had been in Atlanta about seven years, six, six and a half years at this point. And uh, uh, there was one Sunday I was volunteering all morning. I was running camera for all three services. And as I was leaving, my mom called and told me that my dad had had a heart attack and died. Um, after I got off the phone with my mom, I called the video director and, and the whole production staff and some people from the care department um, just kind of, they sat with me for two for over two hours and they made a lot of calls on my behalf. They called my boss to let him know that I wasn't going to 
be at work for a week. Um, they called friends to come pick me up and they even bought a plane ticket so I could be home in Michigan with my mom that night. Um, gosh, over that next week, there were so many staff people that called and texted and sent flowers. And, and if you could see me on video right now, you would be able to see that I'm tearing up a little bit because it's been almost eight years and it still means so, so much to me, um, the way that they loved me. Um, through all of that, I really understood for the first time what it meant to be the church. Um, and I knew that I wanted to be a part of it. So that year that I was teaching was the last year that I taught. Um, I uh, really just knew that I wanted to be a part of a, an organization that knew what it meant to be the church, to give back in the way that they had loved on me. And so um, I quit teaching that year and I got a job uh, producing Sunday services at another church in Atlanta. It was very different than the church that I was attending, both in their liturgy and even in their theology. So I would say that this church is where my deconstruction round one began. Um, some of the pastors became friends of mine, and uh, um, they really just liked having theological conversations. And so they let me ask a lot of questions. I really just felt so safe to be curious and to wrestle. And all of these conversations and learnings really opened up my image of God. Um, I was there for two years at that church, and then I went to another church to work um, with their group's ministry. And uh, I learned very quickly that this other church was not a safe place for me to be curious and to wrestle, but it did provide the opportunity for me to go to seminary, which is where I met Chris. Uh, when I started seminary, I was still working at that church, and I really was not in the best place with God. I was in a season of uh, focusing on myself and uh, redefining my definition of emotional and spiritual and physical health. And I just really was in a place where I felt satisfied that God was a job and not a part of my everyday life. Um, and when I started seminary, this is what I would call deconstruction round two. And uh, at that time, everything that had started to rebuild from deconstruction round one was demolished. And I would say that there wasn't even like rubble remaining. The foundation uh, was just totally clean. I was warned that you become an atheist when you go to seminary. And uh, there were days that I truly felt like that. And the reason they say that is because a lot of people begin this process of deconstruction. And, and it just, I had a lot of fears and doubts and they're just kind of, I felt like I was in a lot of darkness. Um, because of this second round of deconstruction and not having a safe place to, uh, to process through all of this. Um, and around that time, I found my spiritual director that I still meet with currently. And she is the absolute best because she really was the only place. And by only, I mean the only place that I felt comfortable sharing all of these fears and doubts and darkness. And um, Again, I had specifically been told at my job not to talk about these things, and so that was extremely wounding, and my spiritual director was a really safe place for me. Um, I left that job after three years, and for the first time, I had the breathing room to focus on school and on myself. Um, I went back to my production roots, and I turned all my focus to school as well, and that just really became my happy place. And since I was focusing on school, um, I was listening to uh, everything that I was learning in a new way. And these classes started to stir a new longing for God. Um, it took a few months, but even my spiritual director made a note that 
it seemed like a switch had been flipped and my relationship with God was just getting brighter. I finished my spiritual direction classes uh, with Chris and now I'm meeting with directees and it is just a total blast. Um, I finally have the space to really focus on spiritual direction and doing production. And uh, um, it's, it really, again, it's, it's my happy place. And every month feels like this new peak in my relationship with God. And I know that sounds really cheesy, but that's, that's just where I am. Wow, Maggie, what, what a great, incredible story that you have. Um, I'm really happy that we got to know each other in our classes. And um, last week you gave a first impression of me and I'll do the same for you that the very first night that we had our very first class in our in our spiritual direction program. Um, I just kind of scanned the room, just kind of noticing things about people. And I noticed that Maggie sat right next to the teacher <laughs> and she offered answers to almost all the questions. And I thought, oh no, is Maggie going to be the teacher's pet? And I soon realized though, that, um, that Maggie has a depth of wisdom that is incredible. And I was always excited when she opened her mouth and gave, uh, gave answers because it was, was really just incredible to hear what she, what she had to say. So she didn't end up being the teacher's pet, but. Because that was you. Were you the teacher's pet? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. I, I sat as far away from the teacher as I could. <laughs> uh, uh, the whole like sitting, like purposely sitting next to the professor, like that for sure sounds like me. And we're going to do a couple of episodes about the Enneagram. But um, everything that you said about me, like you know, positioning myself next to the professor and trying to be the teacher's pet on day one, that absolutely falls in line with everything I know about me in, in terms of the Enneagram. So, um, (laughs) that is really funny. (laughs) Well, that's great. Uh, I look forward to talking more about the Enneagram then. So you said that you grew up, uh, in a culturally Catholic family. And so tell me a little bit about, um, about what God was for you, even though um, at some point in your life you decided God didn't exist. Yeah, um, I remember being in CCD, which is, I don't know what it stands for, but it's basically like Sunday school for Catholic kids, but it's during the week. Um, And I remember my impression of God was that God was just this thing in the sky that wanted me to put my prayers in a balloon and let them float up to the sky. Um, that was kind of what we were taught in CCD. And then of course I decided that God didn't exist again in my wonderful fourth grader logic. And uh, as a new believer, uh, however many years ago, I, uh, uh, my image of God was that God just wanted me to fulfill a spiritual checklist every day. There was a list of things I had to do, and that was how I remained saved. Yeah. So since that time you have, um, you became a Christian, so to speak, then tell me how your image of God has changed from that point till now. Well, obviously I believe God is real, so that's a big difference. (laughs) That's good. Right? (laughs) I would hope so. Um, But now... I just see God everywhere and in all things and that God ultimately is love. Um, God is this loving community of three that gazes upon their children and is really just thrilled when we gaze back. Um, Most of all, God desires connection with us and draws us into friendship. Yeah. 
So what does that connection with God look like now? What's your relationship now look like? God and I spend a lot of time together. Right now, I do a nightly examine where I look back on my day and um, and look for God in the good and the not so good. Um, and I spend a lot of time throughout the day in what's called empty prayer. And that has been just really life-giving for me and opened up a truly two-way conversation with God. I think I've been doing those for about a year now. These were the practices that I discovered when I was healing from all that burnout. Um, my spiritual pathways, and we're going to do an episode on this too. Um, my spiritual pathways are more on the aesthetic and intellectual side. So that means that I like silence and solitude. And there's a labyrinth across the street from my house. And I go and walk that at least once a week. And um, obviously, I enjoy nerdy stuff from school. Um, I get super geeked out when I make a new connection about God. And so that's what falls into that intellectual uh, pathway. That's great. So what does church look like for you right now? Oh, man, I can't tell you the last time that I actually attended a church, a church service. Um, because I was on staff at a church and I was working on Sundays, I never got to attend. And, um, and even before then, I was serving every Sunday on production pretty much. And, um, and so I just never really attended church. Um, but I like to think of that uh, serving on Sundays, even though I'm in the building and I'm even in the room where they have worship services. Um, I like to serve so that other people, potentially first timers, have a seat and can experience God, uh, maybe for the first time. I still get to hear the messages, but then I get to serve too. And I'm actually in two small groups that meet weekly, uh, which has been really great to meet virtually through the pandemic and all of that. Um, but we meet weekly and we encourage each other to grow in our relationships with God. And, and to me, that is still an extension of the church is to uh, be encouraged by other believers too. And those communities just give me life. And uh, I feel like I can really be myself there. Yeah, that's great. I love that uh, picture of the non-traditional ways of, of being church, like your small groups and things like that. So um, obviously this podcast is about spiritual direction. And so tell me, how were you led to the ministry of spiritual direction? So I had decided that I wanted to get a master's in spiritual formation instead of a master's of ministry, which is basically uh, Christian leadership. So part of that spiritual formation track included spiritual direction training. And at the beginning of it, I was just along for the ride. It was just part of the master's that I wanted. Um, I had no idea at the time that it would turn out to be my calling. And a funny story, my friend uh, told me about the leadership classes that she was taking that I didn't have to take. And I decided I wanted to take them too. So I switched over to a master of ministry, but kept that spiritual direction training. And I just wanted to take all the classes and I'm a huge nerd, <laughs> huge nerd. What can I say? So tell me about your philosophy of spiritual direction. John Calvin says, you can't know God without knowing yourself, and you can't know yourself without knowing God. So I think that spiritual direction provides a safe place to explore who you are, who God is, and how God created you. I believe in my heart of hearts that we were all created uniquely in the image of God, which means that how we connect to God and how we know God is unique to each of us. And when it comes to spiritual direction, there is no one size fits all. And, um, I, you know, 
going back to my teacher roots and my teacher vocabulary, um, each session is differentiated for each person to fit their own spiritual needs. Um, you know, a, a very important part of being a spiritual director is the promise to do no harm. It's my duty. That's how I see it. It's my duty as a spiritual director to love you and create space for you, whatever that space is that you need on that day. Uh, I'm not here to change you or to teach at you or even to make you believe the same as me because that would cause harm and it would rob you of the journey to discovering who God is to you. My only hope is that you grow in loving yourself and that you grow in loving God. That's a great philosophy and one that I also share. So Maggie, your ministry is called Relvoc Ministries. And so um, tell us a little bit about how that ministry came to be and how you came up with that cool name. Um, I think this is a great story. Um, I have a friend that is really passionate about Jewish culture and about Jesus, and his name is Dave Adamson, and he wrote a really, really great devotional called Chasing the Light, um, and it connects a Hebrew word to uh, the Christian faith. And I've gone through it several times. I highly recommend it. Um, I'll put that in the show notes. One day, Dave and I were talking about something really nerdy and theological, as we often did, and he was talking about the importance of having a wide open space to wrestle with God, um, especially when it comes to theological ideas and images of God and all of that. It's really important to wrestle and to have that space to do that. So a few years later, when I was thinking about this ministry and what I would call it, um, I had a dream about this wide open space that he had talked about. So I looked through his devotional and I found the day that talked about this wide open space and the Hebrew word for that is Ravak. And Hebrew words tend to have a lot of meanings. So in addition to a spacious place, Ravak also means to breathe freely, to be refreshed, and it also means full of compassion. And this is the essence of my hope for spiritual direction, a spacious place where one comes as they are to pause and breathe in the midst of our chaotic world and connect with the compassionate heart of the divine. Second Samuel in the Old Covenant says, He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, how cool is it that the creator of the universe delights in us and has created a space for each of us to be who we are, exactly where we are, and have a companion to walk with us? Yes, that really is amazing. And um, one of the great things about spiritual direction is that you get to explore that. So uh, earlier in this session, we learned that you are very interested in the Enneagram. If you want to talk a little bit more about that passion, that's great. But also tell us what else you're passionate about and what kind of topics you want to explore in this uh, in future episodes of this podcast. Yes, I am very, very obsessed with the Enneagram. And, um, and really, I love personality assessments in general. I love the color temperaments and Myers-Briggs. I've done a lot of reading in those. And I also love stages of faith. I think that they really go hand in hand with personality and temperament. And all of this is so important in the realm of spiritual direction. Again, knowing yourself and knowing God and where you are in your journey with God. Um, and also, don't tell anyone this, but I love dangerous theology. And you can't see the air quotes around dangerous, but I love dangerous theology. I support people who think outside the box and are willing to ruffle feathers. 
It doesn't mean that I agree with all of it, but I really like to hear how other people's brains work because my brain just doesn't work that way. And uh, um, you can tell me all of your thoughts and I am all in on listening about that kind of stuff. Well, great. Thank you so much, Maggie. I've really had a great time listening and and learning more about your history and uh, what makes you who you are today. That's it for episode three, folks. And um, we will be back again in two more weeks for episode four, in which we take a deep dive in spiritual direction.